today, I've got a special guest here for the Inner Circle that I want to introduce to everybody. His name is Cole Wynn. Cole was the first round pick in the 2018 Major League Baseball draft by the Texas Rangers. He was a high school right-handed pitcher. Uh, as a junior, Cole was at Silver Creek High School in Colorado, where he was named Gatorade Player of the Year. And then as a senior, Cole was at Orange Lutheran High School in Santa Ana, California, where again, he was named Gatorade High School Player of the Year for the state of Colorado as a junior, California as a senior. And uh, they Rangers had Cole in the Arizona League this year where he was shut down because he had thrown so many innings as a uh, high school senior. But Cole, thanks for joining us on the Inner Circle, man. Glad you're here. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, you know, we've got a mix of coaches here tonight on the call. And obviously the call is recorded and it goes inside of our private Facebook group. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of baseball coaches, softball coaches. We've got volleyball coaches, uh, you know, coaches from all different sports. And we've got, you know, high school athletic directors. We've got college coaches on here. We've got some professional people. But ultimately, Cole, what I want to try to do today is give our Inner Circle members an opportunity to you know, learn from you and your experience in the mental game, but then also get, have an opportunity to ask you some questions around your, the mental game as a, as a guy that's 18 years old, playing professional, and had a lot of success at the high school level. So Cole, probably to get us started, uh, would you talk about kind of your pathway and your entrance into the mental game of baseball? When did it all start for you? So at first, I didn't know anything about the mental game. Then originally, I was committed to Notre Dame. And on my Notre Dame visit, I met Brian Kane. And he talked to me, and at the time, my pitching coach, Sean Cashman, he talked to us about the mental side of the game and just how it was beneficial. And we sat in for a meeting where he talked to the Notre Dame team and just got in, us oh, introduced right. to right. it. How about that? I remember that. So you're a sophomore in high school, going to Notre Dame. I think we actually went to a Notre Dame versus Carolina basketball game that night, too, and I yeah. sat with you guys. You're sitting there in the locker room as I'm presenting the Notre Dame baseball. And that was kind of your entry point into the mental game. When you're sitting there, are you going, eh, I don't need this stuff. What is this mental game? Or were you going, wow, this is something that might make a difference for me. What was your initial reaction to the mental game? Well, I think starting off my first mental side of the stuff with Brian Kane would be unreal. The One of the best of it ever to do it. So well, I appreciate I that, that, man. That got me fired up and just wanted to let me like learn more about the mental side of the game. Awesome. So you go then from, you know, from sophomore in high school, you go and have success and we start kind of you know doing some stuff together over, over the phone and over the internet, getting together on occasions. I go and speak. You'll love this inner circle members. I go and speak at the Colorado high school athletic directors association meeting, which I want to say was in like May, April. April. And are you a sophomore or junior at that time? I was a junior at that time. So junior year as in April, and your high school baseball season in Colorado like started when? When did you start playing games? We started playing in like late March. Okay, so you're just kind of getting started in the season. I'm speaking at an AD conference. How long did you and your mom drive to come sit in on that? It was two and a half hours to come see you. So he drives two and a half hours to come sit in at a athletic director's conference. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying the word baseball one time. I'm speaking to athletic directors, a hundred or so of them in the room about time management, about process, about creating culture. And Cole and his mom are there with, with Sean Cashman, his pitching coach. And why did you want to come to that, Cole? Uh, just to learn more about the mental side of it, whether it was between uh, athletic directors, I felt like it correlated a lot to baseball. Just you're, you're preaching to a different choir, whether it's uh, a bunch of athletic directors, you could change, easily change that up to baseball. And I felt like it correlated easily. What were some of the things that made the biggest correlation for you? Do you remember at that time as, as you're uh, going in your junior year of high school? I think it's just the preparation of everything that really stuck in my mind, whether it's the high, high five hallway, 
whether that preparation to have that or it's preparation, what you're doing, your pre-pitch routine. I felt like that carried over a lot to me. Excellent. What, so, so then you go and you go back from that meeting in April, you go your Colorado player of the year, and then you decide to move to Southern California. Obviously your parents decided to move to Southern California. Was that something that you wanted to do or were you hesitant to go down there? At first I was kind of iffy because it was my senior year, but then it was uh, my father's job that let us down there. So I was like, well, I have to give it a shot. And from everything I've heard that California baseball was just incredible. So I wanted to go and compete and see what California had to offer. So you go in as a senior in high school, you go into a brand new school. Then you went to Orange Lutheran in Santa Ana, California, which is, which is one of the top high school baseball programs in the country. I think you guys are probably ranked in the top 10, 25 your whole time there, right? Yeah. What was it like for you coming into a new program? Like, What were some of the first things you wanted to do when you went in there? Obviously, I wanted to go and improve myself. Someone coming from Colorado, uh, maybe a higher profile guy, I wanted to go and improve myself. But it wasn't proving myself to like press, like give like press myself to do better. It was just trusting my stuff and trusting my mental side of the game to help me push farther and exceed expectations. So you go in there and not only did you did you pitch for them, but you also hit, I think, right? Yeah, I played first base and hit. Excellent. And then California High School Player of the Year, which which is uh, not easy to do. It's like being Florida, Florida, Texas, California High School Player of the Year. And I know we get our circle members from all over, but those are like the three probably biggest states in the country and the three biggest around baseball. And you did it in two states, Colorado and California. So then you're sitting there, you know, Newport Beach, California, I think it was draft day. And tell us what it's like. You get the phone call that you're the first pick for the Texas Rangers. What was that like for you? Oh, it still gives me goosebumps. You just said, and it gave me goosebumps. Like just to have like something that you've worked so hard for your whole high school career to to come true like a dream come true I think it was just really rewarding but at the same time it was like well I still need to work hard I still need to get better every day and initially I thought of you just to see what I could do to get better every day and when we talk about getting better every day you know there's things that you've done that have gotten you to where you are today right so for a lot of the high school coaches that are on this call you know, who are going to go back and say, and probably talk with their players and their athletes and go, Hey, this is what I heard Cole Wynn say first round pick of the Texas Rangers. What are the things that you did? If you, uh, that you feel like gave you the opportunity to succeed like you did. I think first, the thing that comes to my mind is hustle on and off the field. I would sprint to first base, whether it was, I wanted to be first on and off the field. And I, I had, I made it a race between my teammates to get better. So I was not only getting myself better, but I was getting everyone else better around me. I uh, like just showed up every day to practice, like ready to work hard and like, ready to have fun because it is a game. You're not going to just press every day. You're, you're, you're going to work hard every day, but you still need to have fun with it. So I mm-hmm. think that those are the two biggest things that, that stuck out in my mind. You know, as, as I look at you now, man, you've obviously put on some weight and got bigger since, you were, since we met. Talk about when did you start lifting weights and really getting into like the physical conditioning side of things? Because I think that's still something that high school athletes question, you know, am I going to get stiff? Do I want to do that? Do I want to make that type of commitment? Like when did you go, I'm all in on conditioning and start getting after it in the weight room? So I started training freshman year, not really lifting a lot. Uh, still developing, but then I really started to get into weights sophomore year, started to push weights, then going into my junior year, started pushing even more than senior year, pushed it even more than this summer. It was all about getting stronger and weightlifting. So I like ultimately like have just been pushing myself every, every year to get a little bit better in the weight room, get a little bit better physically and just 
with that comes a little bit of yoga too. You, you need to be limber. You also need to be strong. And I think everything that like incorporates a weight room needs to be all brought together. So let's, let's shift from kind of the physical conditioning side of things, you know, and go into more mental conditioning. And at this time, I'm going to remind our inner circle members that if you have a call, a question for myself or a question for Cole, you can virtually raise your hand by tapping the screen. You go into the group chat. You can also type a question there. If you have a question for myself or for Cole, Wynn. either way, raise a hand, we'll call on you or go ahead and type a question. And if nobody asks a question and uh, nobody raises their hand, then I'll just call on people. So be, so be ready but I would prefer if people would send questions. So Cole, let's talk specifically now mental game of baseball. What is it that you do to allow you, let's say to go pitch to pitch? Like how do you go one pitch at a time? My breathing is the biggest thing for me, whether it's pre-pitch or post-pitch after I get the ball. It's all about my breath and keeping my breath. And something I noticed is that when stuff started to go wrong or the game was getting out of hand, my breath was getting really fast and I wasn't controlling my breathing. So that that just allowed me to take a step off the mound, find a focal point high up. I would I would find the highest point on the backstop, look at that, take a deep breath, and just zone back in. So talk about focal point. What is a focal point, Cole? To me, it's something that you you look at that just locks you in. It reminds you to lock back in. And for me, I wanted to look at something high because I want my sights to be high. Mm-hmm. I want everything to be looking up. I don't need anything to be going down. So I would find the highest point for me, which would be the middle of the backstop at the highest point. Nice. So kind of projecting that big confidence and body language looking at the top of the backstop. Yeah. So another thing is, is Cole and I are getting ready to get after it here for a couple of days in Arizona. I just flew in. He's in the desert. I'm excited to get it going. Um, you know, is the purpose of a focal point, right, is exactly that, to pull me back into the present moment, that if I can see the top center of that backstop or for the coaches on this call, if you just pick out something in front of you, like I'm looking at the corner of a window now. If I look at the corner of that window and I take a breath in and exhale, I know I'm in control of myself. And as you know, Cole, you have to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance. So the focal point is something that we look at and take a breath to basically get us centered and remind us that we have to be in control of ourselves. You know, Cole, you talked about breathing in the pre-pitch routine. Um, I'm going to grab a glove. And I'm going to have you walk us through your pre-pitch routine so that right. when you're Perfect. you know, going through and you're pitching, people can take a look and see and go, hey, I remember when I saw that on this circle <laughs> call. And just so you know, in case the coaches are wondering, this glove does have stitched on the side there. Cole, what's that say? Dominate the day. It says dominate the day. That's right. So go ahead if you would. Hop up here and kind of walk us through your pre-pitch routine. So let's, okay. uh, let's pick it up from... I'll have you kind of throw to the computer. Let's have you pick it up from like, you just caught the ball back. You just threw the last warm-up pitch. So home plate is the computer. Second base is the door. You just threw the last warm-up pitch. Take us through kind of what you're doing there. Okay, so say I threw the last warm-up pitch. I'd walk a couple steps around the mound, get the ball from third base, get it tapped twice. I'd look up, deep breath, lock back in. I'd go up to the mound. I'd wipe off the dirt off the mound. Make sure it's all the way clean. For me, a clean rubber means a clean mind, and that's something I focused huge on. So after I clean that, I look up at the mount or up there. Still looking at the backstop. Yep. Same still focal at, point. Still looking okay. at the backstop. I take a step in with my right, do a verbal cue for me, which is something I, I don't know if I'm going to say on here right now. Okay. Look down, take a deep breath, then go up. <laughs> 
Perfect. Then okay. For me, I'd get locked in like that. Perfect. There you go. Okay. So everybody has everybody has their thing that they go to, and the one thing we want to do here in your circle is you want to keep it real. Okay. So, you know, if I'm a high school coach, I'm probably not going to say that to my high school athlete, but I'm not his high school coach, right? So I can say what I want to say. You have to be careful about what you say uh, with your high school athletes. Again, you know, high school. We try not to swear in high schools, but Cole, this is not high school athletes. This is high school coaches. So let it rip and be yourself. Okay. So when you wipe that rubber and you clear the rubber, you you said you say that again. You said I clear the rubber and I clear my mind. Is that yeah, right? Clear rubber, clear mind. Okay. So what that is, okay, what that is here, Cole, is I point to my backside. Is that's an association. Okay, and I point to my backside to say association because what we have to do in the mental game is I make an association mentally with things that I do physically. So when I wipe that rubber and wipe it away and the mound's clear, my mind's clear. When I project big and I look up at the top of the backstop, I'm projecting confidence and I'm big, right? So you, so you step on the mound, F these guys, here you are, you're ready to go, you throw the pitch, boom. You catch the ball back, you're in a green light. Show me what you do. Green light catch it, maybe do one wipe off still, get back on the mound and get ready to go. Uh, get the pitch, maybe bring the glove up, then I'm ready to go. But the, the last thing for me before I throw it is a deep breath. So obviously it's going to change whether there's a runner on base or not, but yep. I need a deep breath to really just lock in. And that deep breath allows me to lock in on the catcher and where I want to throw it and what pitch I'm throwing. Beautiful. So is that deep breath happening before you get the sign or after the sign or both? After the sign. After the sign. Yeah. Okay. So the deep breath is after the sign, right before I'm about to pitch. Just and then you go. go. Okay. Yep. What about out of the stretch? What do you do out of the stretch? Out of the stretch is uh, same thing. Get it. I like to catch the ball. Like I've, I have a pretty fast tempo, so I'd catch it, walk back, catch it, wipe off, then get back in. Then still, like obviously, some teams are going to pick up. Now, if you have that deep breath, then you pitch every time. Mm -hmm. So you need to change when your deep breath is. So still, it's like, maybe I'll wait a couple of seconds and I'll throw it again. So still, it's that deep breath that allows me to get locked in. Okay. So I want you to do this. I want you to imagine you're throwing a pitch at the laptop. And, and a lot of times what will happen, because we've got some mental performance coaches on here as well, is this Cole is talking us through his routine. It's it, it, What I always like to have him do after they talk through it is have him just do it without talking about it so I can kind of see how it plays out because when they're pitching, they're not talking out loud. They're just going through it. So now I want you to go ahead and just imagine throwing two pitches to the laptop like you're doing a shadow bullpen, Cole, without saying anything. Let me just see what you do. We're going on the stretch. All right, let's stretch. Stretch, yeah. Right. Throw the pitch. Okay. Save the ball or strike. Yep. Okay. So here's what I was looking for. Let's see if anybody can pick up what I was looking for. I'm looking for a lot of times as Cole and Cole mentioned this, right? Is as, as I come set, if I come set with my hands here and then I take my breath, a lot of times I remember being with Wake Forest at Florida state and they had a pitcher who would come set breath and then throw just like you're talking about. And we were running all day on them. Right? So then as we were talking, it's like, well, the fix to that would be if you're a pitcher and you're in the stretch, as you come set, right, most pitchers are going to so start with the ball in their glove or in their hand either way, and they come set and their hands come here or they come here wherever they end up, right? But as you come set, the breath would be here. And then, then the clock starts, right? So for what you, it sounds like what you're doing is you're coming set with the here. You're coming set, taking your breath. So I'm watching the shoulders drop, then the clock starts, right? And you're saying, you know, one or two or three or whatever it is. So you're varying your timing. So you can do it that way. The other way you, you would do it is take your breath 
because your hands are coming set anyway. So instead of it coming set, then taking the breath, you would just tie those two things together. <sighs> Not asking you to change or suggesting you change, just suggesting you be aware of a way you could do it if you decided that you want to do it that way. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So you're coming back in here, Cole. Let's say you're out of the stretch now and you go ball one, ball two. What color light would we call it if you went two balls in a row, you think? Yellow light. Yellow light. What would you do to release a yellow light? <laughs> Wipe off and do another deep breath. So a deep breath, wipe off, another deep breath, and then you would get back on? Yep. Okay. Do you know the three steps to a release, Cole? Yeah. What are the three Is steps? Is it physical? Yeah. Verbal? Yeah. Then deep breath. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Wow. Impressive. Real impressive. Okay. Now, it doesn't matter what order they're in, yeah. and it doesn't matter if you do all three. The way I look at it is think about it like um, – it's a board. Okay. And if you're going to put your head through a board, which you might do while you're here, if you're going to put your head through a board, what's going to be, what's going to be harder to bust through one, two or three boards, three, three boards. So we want our, our release to be stronger, just like stacking three boards on top of each other. And the first board would be like, I'm okay. I make a physical action, which for you is what? Wiping, off. wiping the rubber. I take a deep breath and my verbal trigger might be, so what next pitch or whatever you would yeah. say. Yeah. Okay, so that's your pre-pitch routine. What do you do? You have a pre-batter routine as well that you go through. Yes, it, it's pretty much the same thing. Like wipe off and just get ready for them to step on. Then I would always go right, then left, and deep breath, and I'm locked back in. Okay, are there times where you wipe the rubber and it is not a release? Yeah, you're just wiping it to wipe it. Yeah, and then there's times where you wipe it and it is a release. Mm -hmm. How do you differentiate between those two? Whether I'm rolling or not, whether it's a green light situation or it's a yellow light situation, and probably when when the dirt builds up on there, I know that it's getting closer to yellow or red. So that's more of a bigger wipe off, and that's more the cue to release. Okay. And so you've mentioned yellow lights. Explain for our, for the inner circle members, if you would, what's the difference between green, yellow, and red? To me, green is you're rolling. You you're throwing everything where you want to throw it. Yellow is Say you go one o two o, then third pitch is is, is kind of close, borderline strike. That's kind of yellow. Then red is ball one, maybe hit. Then you go next batter, ball one, then ball two, and that's I think a red light situation where you throw up, you give up a hit, and you start giving up more hits, and everything's kind of spinning out of control. Beautiful. So how do you know when you're in the battle? So let's go back to Orange Lou this year. You got you guys are in a state playoff game or a. a a game during the regular season, you know, you're playing at Cary, North Carolina in a, champ, in, a, in a tournament against the best teams in high school baseball, and you get into a yellow light. How do you know you're in a yellow light? My breathing stops. Like, my pre-pitch breathing, my, that deep breath that happens is slowly going away. So for me, once I realize that, which normally it wouldn't take long, like maybe one one or two pitches, like, wow, I didn't, I didn't breathe. I need to breathe. That's what would really, like, be key for me, whether I'm not, like, locked in or not. Excellent. Is there anything else that would trigger you that you're in a yellow light or red light? Just losing myself, losing my timing and like just not being myself, just whether it be going three ball, four ball walk. And that I know that's not me. So obviously something needs to change. I need to take a deep breath. I need to focus on that focal point and I just need to obviously release. Beautiful. You know, uh, inner circle members, what we're hearing Cole say here is, and the reason I was asking him is, there, is there anything else that you recognize, right? When you're in yellow lights is 
typically athletes will say, you know, and, and Cole said, when, you know, I start to rush in my mechanics. So if my mechanics break down, there's a physical change. If I'm rushing through my breath would be another one. If, if your athletes have a breath and they have the awareness knowing their tempo, right? So I would say if your breath is rushing or your mechanics are rushing, it's like you're physically out of control. Uh, situations, umpire makes a bad call, you know, situation performance wise, I go four balls in a row or I go walk, you know, walk and then a base hit and then ball one, right. It starts to kind of get going. Um, another one might be like my body language. If I feel like I'm looking down, right. If I'm noticing there's a lot of dirt on the mound, I might be looking down instead of projecting up. So typically when coaches and athletes recognize their signal lights, it comes down to what I call BFSS. Their body language changes, the focus changes, the self-talk changes, the situation changes. And it doesn't matter the sport, like in volleyball, right? In volleyball, if we lose two, three, four points in a row and we're playing really good volleyball, you know, we're just going up and we, everything's working out, boom, we go for a spike and they block it, that's going to happen. But if we're shanking balls or hitting balls in the net or not in the right position and not communicating, like that's different than we're playing good volleyball and giving up points. Cole, talk about some of the key mindsets that you have in baseball around like what you can control and what you can't control as a pitcher. Well, really, the only thing you control is your motion. And as soon as it leaves your hand, everything's out of control. So as a pitcher, I think whether you have a young pitcher that, that struggles when there's errors being made behind them, I think. It's just learning how to deal with that. And I think that's something that you helped me out with a ton. That After the pitch leaves your hand, you can't control it. You can't control what it does in the air. I mean, obviously, like the only thing you control is your motion to do that. Like say, I need to throw a curveball. I want to throw it up, so I'll release it higher. If I release it lower, then I can't control what it does after it leaves my hand. Mm. I can't control whether the catcher blocks it and the run scores or not. I can't control whether the guy hits it 500 feet or not. Right. So I think just taking what's out of control, out of your control, and just limiting what you have in your mind to that is was was big for me, and I think that's something that me, like when I was younger, I couldn't couldn't handle. Whether there's an error behind me, next pitch was coming as hard as I could. Didn't, red light, doesn't matter red where, light. doesn't yeah. matter where it's coming as hard as I can. Yep. So for me, that was just controlling that. Beautiful. And uh, here's the million dollar question. Million dollar question from not the not the actual million dollar question. What do you now? You wishing you then? That might come from one of our one of our members here, but my question for you, Cole, and I want to see if you, if you understand this, and I think you're going to give the answer, but we'll see. I'm going to ask our, I'm going to ask our listeners here too. What is your like main objective, your goal, your job, whatever you want to call it as a pitcher. So think about that. What's your job, your goal, your main objective, all the same thing as a pitcher thinking about running that through the lens or the process of controlling what you can control. What do you think, Cole? What's your job? My job as a pitcher is to keep my tempo for the, the, the fielders behind me not to fall asleep. Uh, everything I've heard is that when you're, you're faster tempo, it's easier for your fielders to be engaged. You can't control if they're going to be engaged or not, yep. but you need to have a fast tempo. So they are, you're doing your best job to keep like, make sure that they're engaged. Your next job is to make sure that you're making pitches like where you want to throw your and ultimately your biggest job is to get outs you're on a mound to get outs okay do you control getting outs no do you control if your teammates are engaged or not with the tempo you're pitching with no only thing you control is what how i'm doing okay and where your ball's going ball's going right so the simple answer we're looking for here is don't your job and what's going here's what's going to get you to the big leagues the fastest and what's going to keep you in the big leagues the longest 
is simply executing what? One pitch. One pitch and quality pitches. Pitch right. If you can execute one pitch at a time and you can execute a high percentage quality high percentage of quality pitches, you give yourself the best chance for success in your role as a pitcher. Because once the ball comes out of your hand, nothing you can do, right? Exactly. And the problem you're going to face is you go from high school now into pro baseball or wherever they put you next year or whenever you, your career continues is what's the biggest difference you think between pitching, say, in single A baseball and in high school? What's the difference for you? The hitters can catch up to 95. You need to make sure that you are throwing it where you need to throw it. You need to execute one pitch at a time to where in high school you were like, I throw 95, I could just blow it by him. Mm-hmm. Now you're actually having to be a pitcher. So when you were in high school and you threw 95, you could get it by guys. You'll still be able to get it by guys in pro baseball. It's just how I sequence my pitches. That and how you locate your pitches, right? And that's, I think that's the difference in high school. As a high school pitcher, your margin for error is bigger than in pro baseball. Yeah. And as you go up in the levels, right? So high school baseball margin for error is here. College, minor leagues, double A, triple A, big leagues. All that means is if you execute a quality pitch at the major league level and at the high school level, you still give yourself the best chance for success. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's the, my message I'm going to hammer home to Cole as we go swim and we go play pickleball and we go climb Camelback Mountain and we go hit yoga and we go ride a bike tomorrow and we go to ASU football game and we straight get some <laughs> is just the, the enforcement of control what you can control, execute a quality pitch, everything else is bullshit. Right, you don't you, you don't get guys out. You make a pitch, they get guys out. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And you have a tempo and a routine because your routine sets your tempo. Mm-hmm. And when you have that routine that sets your tempo, that's what gives your defenders the best chance to stay in the present moment. But if your tempo is too fast because you're thinking about keeping those guys engaged and you can't execute a quality pitch, who are you beating in that case? You're beating yourself. So the routine sets the tempo to give you the best chance to execute a quality pitch. Yeah. And if you can execute a high percentage of quality pitches, you give yourself the best chance to get to the big leagues. Knowing ultimately you don't even control getting to the big leagues because an organization has to go, okay, let's move Cole up. Yeah. But you need to make it really hard for them not to move you up by simply executing quality pitches. And where the biggest challenge you're going to have when you start facing pro hitters, one of those biggest challenges is going to be you're going to execute quality pitches and what's going to happen. They're going to hit them. Yes. And that's where you have to go and look at video afterwards mm-hmm. because in the heat of the battle, right? Do you really know where you threw the pitch? Do you know if it was three inches in or on the black? Not at all. It happened so fast, right? Yep. So you have to go watch the video afterwards and you've got to make this part of your routine. And most guys don't, but you've got to make it part of your routine to go watch the video and look at every single pitch and say, was that a quality pitch or not? Regardless of the outcome, what was my percentage of quality pitch? So one of the things that I'm going to set them up with here is a chart. On, on your computer, that basically you go watch the game, date, who would I pitch against, and then you're going to put down, okay, what pitches would I throw? So what's your pitch arsenal? You're facing a right-handed hitter. What pitches might you throw? Fastball, curveball, change of slider. Okay, and you're going to go fastball probably as multiple pitches. So fastball yeah. in, fa- so fastball arm side, fastball glove side. Yeah. Would you, do you go up and down too? or? Yeah, depending okay. on situation. So you might have, let's say, let's say fastball arm side, glove side elevated is three. Yeah. Change up always for a strike, or do you ever bury it in the dirt? Bury it. So, do you ever throw it for a strike? Yeah. So that's two more pitches, right? Mm-hmm. And curveball, you throw for a strike and bury it. So and bury it. There's seven, and we said slider too, right? Yeah. And do you throw that for a strike? Yes. And you bury it in the dirt to get a swing and a miss. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, that's nine pitches, right? Yeah. So when you're and all nine of those pitches could be called, is that right? Yes. So they could call curveball, 
and then show you that you, they, you want it in the dirt based off of the count or the hitter, right? Mm-hmm. So those nine pitches that you could throw, even though it's only fastball, curveball, changeup, slider, those nine pitches that you would throw to a right-hander, probably the same nine you'd throw to a left-hander, what you're going to have is you're going to watch the video and going to say, okay, how many arm side fastballs did I throw to, or how many inside fastballs did I throw to a right-handed hitter? Yeah. 10. How many did I execute? Six. And over the course of like seven games, let's say you threw 70 fastballs into a right-handed hitter and you know what your percentage is of that pitch. Let's say it's 75%, but your fastball away from a left-handed hitter is only, even though it's the same pitch to the same side of the plate, you have a hitter in versus a hitter away but you only execute to the left-handed hitter throwing away 50% of the time, mm-hmm. but you can throw that pitch to a hitter right-handed 75% of the time, well, then what does that tell you to work on in your bullpen? Yeah, Fastball away, left-handed hitter. Yeah. Because that's what you have to execute quality pitch-wise, right? Definitely. So we want to take the mindset and haven't had a lot of guys that have come in, in, in this situation, right? And you're getting ahead of the game. I mean, you haven't even thrown a pitch in professional baseball yet, have you? Yeah, I have. you have. I you, threw an instructs. I threw instructs. Eight innings. Eight innings. Eight, eight innings? Yeah. Okay, so you, have, so you haven't played affiliated like in-season pro baseball, and no. you're coming to make sure you understand and get kind of a tune-up on the mental game to go and give yourself the best chance. Yes, sir. Awesome. Cole, appreciate you breaking down the routine, man. Let's get Thank some you. questions from the Inner Circle members. Take a seat, bud. Grab you some water. You're off the hot seat. <laughs> now you're on the hotter one. Here we go. Let's jump into some questions. Uh, first question comes in from Chris Lavoy. He says uh, – Actually, Chris Lavoy, Cole, you'll love, was a college baseball teammate of mine at the University of Vermont way back when. Uh, Cole said, or Chris says, Cole, have you changed your pre-pitch or pre-batter routine from high school to pro baseball? No. I've, I've kept it the same. For me, what was working was what I was doing, so I didn't want to change anything up, and I'm not going to change it up until I need, I need to, ultimately. When would you need to? If shit hits the fan, consecutive outings, maybe not like four or five in a row. Maybe it's a string of 10, 15 in a row. And for me, that's like, I need to change something. Okay. And you said it's shitty outings, right? Yeah. What defines a shitty outing? A shitty outing is how many times I didn't locate my pitch. How many times I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Ultimately, like say stuff I can control is whether I throw a first pitch strike, say I go one for nine on first pitch strikes throughout the game. That for me, determines whether it's a shitty outing or not. What if you win and throw a three-hitter in that game? To me, like my mindset is I still want to get the little things down before the big picture. You mean you want to focus on not the outcome but the what? The process. Boom, fantastic, good. So the process, right, of executing the pitch. Because you know what's amazing is Greg Maddox, you've heard that name, right? Greg Definitely. Maddox, one of the best pitchers of all time. Greg Maddox went through a string where he was like 0-12. Mm-hmm. And then he started working with a sports psychologist by the name of Harvey Dorfman. And, you know, there was a lot of things that, that I'll show you. I have a video I can pull up of that. Let me make a note of that. That, you know, if you can watch this video of Greg Maddox as he's like six years in the major leagues, right. And learn from his mindset when you're 18 and you're just getting started in your pro career. Doesn't that give you a way better chance for success? Yes. I mean, why wait? Don't wait until you're, 0 and 12 in your pro career to start knowing okay when that happens who do i go to who do i turn to like start making that elite performance team now you know yeah awesome tyler pays a question it says cole what are a few ways that you have built your signalite awareness you know what awareness is yeah perfect of course you're going to go to notre dame of course you know what awareness is so for me that's just knowing my body and knowing my mind and knowing how both of those coincide and how i deal with those so for me, I think the yellow light signal is, for me, I'm a guy who throws a lot of strikes, so a yellow light symbol would be 
2030. I think that's, um, for me, that's what defines it is just knowing myself and knowing what I'm capable of and knowing that if what I'm doing is not what I should be doing. So what, I, so what I'm hearing you say, Cole, is that you recognize Signalites through situation, 01 or 2102030. Yes, and how my body works. Okay, so, so, and is there anything else that you think might help you recognize if you're in the yellow light? As Tyler's asking about ways you've built your awareness. Basically, awareness is, yeah. Yeah, I know I'm in yellow lights. Yeah, so ways I've built that is just like, like knowing whether my breathing is getting fast or not, knowing whether my motion is getting too fast and that just goes back to whether my breathing is too fast. So I think uh, it all for me correlates back to breathing. Brilliant. And as we talked earlier, right, the, the way for the coaches on the call to help their athletes build awareness of signal lights would simply be take a piece of paper, draw a line down the center, your best, your worst. Or you would say when I'm in green, when I'm in red. And, and for high school athletes, younger athletes, I typically will take red and yellow lights and just say like red and yellow are together. And then there's green. And as you get now into pro baseball and you have more awareness, you can say like Cole doesn't talk about the mental game like most 18 year olds, right? He has a much deeper understanding. So now the question is going to be, let's differentiate between red and yellow. And, but for people getting started, I would say put red and yellow together because you're not in green. And you know, how we understand that would be situations in the game. My body language changes, my focus changes, my self-talk changes. Cole, let me ask you this because you probably know, you just, you just aren't aware of it yet. When you're in green lights, where's your focus when you're on the mound? It's on, it's on the catcher. It's on the catcher's glove. Nothing okay. like to me, like I can't even, like, even focus on my body. Like to me, it's just like almost like when you're green, you're going so good that it's just like you don't need to worry about yourself. Excellent, because you're just focused on external what's happening. Where's your focus go when you get in yellow and red lights? Then it starts coming back on me, and that's just knowing whether, like, like I said, like whether the breathing is getting too fast or the the arm slots changing or your motions changing. And for me, that's when, like, I start to notice when I'm in a yellow. So when you're in green lights, are you thinking about your breathing or thinking about arm slot at all? You're just executing pitches. Yep. So when you, you start thinking about – so what I would call that focus, okay, this is big. If, when you're in green lights and you're just focused on hitting the glove and executing, that's an external focus. I'm focused on what's out there. When I get in yellow lights, I start thinking about arm slot. I start thinking about my breathing and maybe how I feel. That focus would be internal. So what I'm hearing you say is that when you struggle or get in yellow lights or red lights, you get more internal. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Excellent. Good question, Tyler. Question from Tom Taylor. Cole, what is the thing that you know now you wish you knew when you were younger? So uh, let's take younger and say, like, if you could go back to Cole Wynn, who was, let's say, a freshman, sophomore in high school. Yeah. And now, you know, had it been a first-round pick, signed the big contract to the Rangers, you spent a year in pro baseball. What would you go back and tell that guy who was a freshman or sophomore in high school? I think just to enjoy, like, the process a little bit more. To me, everything went by way too fast and like having learned the mental side of it going in a little bit of touch sophomore year than going into it more my junior years just to read more into that read more books read more side of that mental game to like better prepare myself for for pro ball and just like digging into that awesome um 
let me throw this question out there, Cole. So, you know, you, you obviously had a background in the mental game coming out of high school. You go to pro baseball in Arizona. You're now away from home, away from family, away from everybody that you know, and you're in Arizona in the middle of the desert and half the guys out there at spring training probably don't speak English because they're coming over from the Dominican or wherever. What was it like for you going there on your own the first time? Um, for me, I didn't really feel like on my own because as, as you guys have all learned now that I moved my senior year. So that kind of felt like that bridge, the gap to be like mm -hmm. on my own, mm -hmm. whether it's being away from my older brother, my grandparents back in Colorado and just like living with my parents in California, that really kind of bridged the gap for me between pro ball or whether I went to college. So you go to pro baseball, you go to Arizona yeah. and you have a background in the mental game. And now you are playing professional baseball, probably with guys from all over the world and guys that are older than you guys that have come out of college and 21, 22, 23 years old, except in spring training or Arizona league. What did you notice about other guys who maybe didn't have the mental game background that you had as they got into pro baseball? what did you notice was the difference between maybe you and them? Yeah. So what I really noticed is that we would have like peak performance meetings, but no one really took away from that. No one really picked up like routines. So you'd see a guy go out there and pitch and, he would be at, out to start, say he had three consecutive starts, he'd be outside at a different time every day. He probably wouldn't eat the same things, and that's just part of your routine. It probably wouldn't have the same pre-pitch, like pre-bullpen routine. He wouldn't have the same stretching routine, and I felt like that was something bigger for me is that I knew what I needed to get my body ready. And other people at that level, just at, like, at that point in life, they just didn't know. So that for me, like the routines really stuck out in my mind. Like whether it was what time you woke up, obviously, like we didn't have to be at the field until 1231 every day. So what you did with your morning and your routine in the morning really separated some people, whether you would go out the night before and stay in bed until 12 or you would wake up at eight, go get breakfast and go do your thing and get ready for the day. So I felt like that kind of separated everyone. Awesome. And then also, what did you notice about like when guys would struggle, say, hits a ball hard at somebody they're out or a guy is a pitcher is maybe executing good pitches, but has nothing to show for it. Did you notice that guys were more driven by result than process? Yeah. There's, there's multiple guys where it was like, Oh, I gave up five runs today. It was like, Oh, but your last outing, you walked five people this outing. You didn't walk any people like that really stuck out in my mind because people were so results based that they based their whole attitude based on their result. And for me, just learning about minor league baseball is that you're going to struggle more times and you're going to succeed. The really great ones obviously succeed a little bit more, but you're going to struggle a lot and you're, you can't just get down on yourself after two or three consecutive bad outings. You need to keep grinding and keep pushing yourself because you're there for a reason. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Other questions coming in from Chris Lavoie says, what percentage of professional baseball players, Let's just take your experience in the Arizona, we'll call it the Arizona League, right? Yeah. Extended spring. It's not extended spring because that would be back in the spring, but we'll call it the Arizona League, right? So, uh, Cole, what was the makeup of players in the AZL, Arizona League? Like, were they mostly high school, mostly college? What percentage were, were from Dominican that didn't really, you know, speak a ton of English? And how many, how many players were there? Um, I think on our team we had about... 50 maybe 60 so, guys maybe. So it, was, say, it was a ton of guys so 50 players and yeah. how many of them like didn't speak english i'd say about 25 but, so so half of them don't speak english okay yeah. so now uh how many of them were out of high school do you think like your age 18 versus being older out of college i'd say there was about nine or ten guys out of high school and the rest were were college guys or senior signed guys 
Okay. So, so 10 guys that are probably 18 years old, like you, and then you've yeah. got 40 guys that are probably 22, 21, yeah. somewhere in there all yeah. of age and going out and probably doing a little bit different things than you can as 18 year old. Right. Yeah. So of the 50 players that were there, how many of what percentage, I guess is the question I'm getting is what percentage of the players of those 50, would you say had an understanding of signal lights and pre-pitch routines? I'd probably say not including myself around five to 6% just because we, we would have peak performance meetings, but it really wouldn't get through to people. And like, I think a couple guys came from colleges that you worked with. So they had an understanding of it. it might not, they might not have applied it, but like, at least they understood it. Yeah. Yeah. But like the guys coming from Latin America didn't have any awareness. Uh, I'd say some of the high school guys probably didn't have any awareness, but, um, I'd say like maybe 5% had an awareness of what they needed to do to get themselves back into it. Cole, let me ask you this. If you had not done the mental game work that you had done since you were a sophomore in high school, you think you'd be able to handle all the success that you've had as well as you, as you have? Um, probably not. No, I think just learning about the mental side of it at a young, younger age has allowed me to be more humble about being successful and being uh, like being able to laugh at yourself when you do bad. Cause you know, like, you're good. You're, you're at this level for a reason. So if you have a bad outing, you'd be like, Oh, that's not me. That didn't happen. Just shake it off. And the next day is a new day. So each day allows you to get better. Love that. Love that. Um, okay. Greg Ferry's question was Cole. What were your steps for your release and refocus? And you talked earlier, your release physically was to do what? Wipe off the mound. Good. And then your refocus, will you take a breath when? Take a breath, right before I was going to pitch, Excellent. whether it was a couple seconds or whenever. It's right after the zone, yep. after the sign. Perfect. Uh, question, Cole, were you a multiple, multi-sport athlete growing up? Yeah, I played uh, football until high school and basketball up until my junior year of high school. Beautiful. And then uh, do you take a slower breath when you get too hyped up, as in like the first inning of an elimination playoff game or a big, big situation? Yeah, uh, I think. Like when I get my, when I get too hyped up, I find everything moving a lot faster. So I take a bigger, deep breath. Got it. Now you also play, you're also an avid golfer. Is that right? Yeah. All right, so I here's, got, here's I a, got really into it. Perfect. Here's a question coming out here. It says, do you keep track of your yellow red light situations? Like Phil Mickelson knows how far his four iron goes in the rough fairway, 20 miles an hour winds, etc. Not sure I understand the question, but. Do you keep track of your yellow and red light situations? So I guess I okay, I got it, I got it. So Mickelson knows when he when he's hitting a four iron into the wind, that he knows this is where he's going to get right. Mm -hmm. So when you get red and yellow lights, like do you keep track of what the situations are, like maybe journal about them or store them in your mind so that you know when they come up again. That has been something that's triggered the yellow light for you in the past. Yeah. So for me, that's uh, a big thing would be like spinning off. So when I'd spin off, I'd leave everything. I'd either yank everything arm side or leave a fastball that tails right under the guy's chin. And I know that this area was, was bad for me. I need to be here or maybe a little bit less there. So for me, like when I'm spinning off and the ball sails on me or I yank it, that, that that's something in my mind that is like starting to be like, Oh, like you're starting to get in the yellow. Like that, that's not you like get back to what you're doing. Like more rotational. I've heard you say a couple of times here, Cole, that's not you. Is that something that you say a lot? Where is that? Because that's, is it? Where, where does that come from? Is that just something you're saying that you're not aware of that you're even saying that, or is that something that you use a lot? That's something I use a lot. Talk about that. So for me, I think one of the biggest things is I I recently read an article. Uh, it was the golfer that one that you sent me. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. 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 I know what you're talking about. Lanny Basham. Um, not me. Needs work. Yeah. 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 Need, never missed a three foot putt. Like, yeah. 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 Um, for me, like, I don't normally walk some someone on four balls. So for me, I walk someone on four pitches. That's not me. Like, that's not who I am. Like, obviously, it's going to happen, but that's not me. That's not my game. So for me, that's just like a wipe off, refocus. And for me, as I started getting into golf, it's like, oh, I didn't hit a bad shot. That wasn't me. Yeah, that was yeah, someone, yeah, not yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what, you know, and that where that concept of, of, self-talk comes from is a guy by the name of Lanny Basham. He was a, he was a two-time, I think, Olympic ar- medalist in archery, he wrote a book. Uh, so what he talks about in that is he says, he says, you know, when you execute a pitch, when you shoot an arrow the way you want to, when you hit a golf shot the way you want to, you reinforce it by saying, that's me. Yeah. And when you miss a shot, miss a pitch, hit a ball into the net as a server, you would say, needs work. Yeah. Right? So what you've done is said, that's not me. Or that's me, right? And it's kind of working on when something happens, this is what I say, right? If if there's something that happens that I don't like, I say this to basically clean it. And if I do something I want, I say this to reinforce it. Mm -hmm. So you'll like this with golf, right? So trying to get Cole to roll out to Cal State Fullerton with me this weekend to work with a golf team. He's got to head back to California but uh, or back to Colorado. But when I work with golfers, right, I'll be on the course this weekend with Cal State Fullerton Golf. And I'll ride in a cart with each guy. They'll play 18 holes and they got nine golfers. I'll go two holes with every golfer. Yeah. And I, and I to, I don't think I'll go two on the front. I'll go like one through nine and then, and then 10 through 18. And I sit there and I videotape their routines, but then I also will watch like after they hit the shot, if they hit it bad, they will immediately start walking back to the cart. Like it's almost instant. They don't even finish their follow through. They're walking back to the cart. If they hit the shit out of it and they hit it well, they hit it and they just watch. And I'm like, okay, well, if I if I'm just watching you and I don't see where the ball goes, as a professional, I want to see you have the same post shot routine, you know, where like you hit it and you either go, "Yep, that's me," and you see the ball again, or you would hit it the way you don't like it and you hit it into the woods and you go, "Okay, needs work," but that's me, and you see yeah. it the way you want, you know. Um, so that visualization of the shot after I hit it. Speaking of visualization, Cole, do you do visualization at all? Of course. Talk about all that. The time. So the biggest thing for me is shadow bullpens. I'll throw 15, 20 pitches of shadow bullpen. I'll get a towel in my hand and just go through a game situation. Say it's first batter of the game, what I would want to do. I would want to go arm side fastball for strike one, maybe glove side change up for strike two, or maybe I want to go up fastball, like just in the zone, then curveball down. It's just like seeing myself do it when no one's there and seeing like what I want to do in my mind, it makes it easier for me to see it when it's actually happening. Gotcha. So your shadow bullpens, how often would you do those say during a season? Every day, every day, every day. And you don't even have to be on a mound. You could be, I could be right here standing and doing a shadow bullpen. It's just something that I see my body and feel my body do over and over again to feel whether I'm throwing an arm side fastball or arm side change up and, like the shadow bullpens for me were something that allowed me to get locked back in and feel like exactly how it feels to throw a ball exactly where you want to throw it. And when you're doing the shadow bullpen, is it, are you working on mechanics or is it more like my breath and visualization of the pitch and see and feeling and hearing the ball going where I want it to go? Like, what are you exactly doing in the shadow? It's everything that incorporates it, whether it's my pre-pitch routine. I'll, I'll get up and walk around the mound, catch the ball from the third baseman, do my pre-pitch routine. Obviously, say we're in a room like this, I'd find the highest point that I could find and do my deep breath. Just lock back in, get on a mound, say my verbal cue, get ready to go, then 
obviously it's game time in my shadow bullpen. Perfect. Perfect. Great. And the, uh, the book that Tyler shared is called with winning in mind and he has linked it inside of our cliff notes or inside of our zoom group chat here. So Tyler, thank you. Last question came in. So it says, Cole, talk about throwing quality pitches. Okay. What would you define as a quality pitch? Now this high school coach, he says, we measure a lot of things in practice and games, quality at bats, quality pitches, you know, uh, velocity, uh, bat speed. And we have a chart that we put all this on. Is there a chart that you use for measuring quality pitch or is it just video review? So first question is what is a quality pitch, Cole? How do you define quality pitch for yourself? Throwing the ball exactly where I want to throw it and making it do exactly what I wanted to do. To me, like we worked over a lot of the summer and our pitching coordinators are a quality pitch is a pitch that you want to throw and you intend on throwing and making it do what you would want to do. So say I want to throw a backdoor two seam to a lefty. I want to throw it started at his hip and maybe run it right back in the inside corner. That for me would be a quality pitch. What so if he hits that for a home run, Cole? I still made a quality pitch. And if he hits the pitch that I made, like it's going to happen. Like I'm, I'm going to throw a quality pitch and the guy's going to hit it 500 feet and it's going to happen. But it's just something that in my mind, I threw the quality pitch. And for me, that that's a small victory that I can just stack on top of one another. So when my small victories outweigh my, short failures small victories cole sounds like you're talking about the compound effect you know what the compound effect is yes sir come on man what is the compound effect it's stacking those small wins it's having a win like in your mind like for me that that quality pitch is a win getting out of an inning is a win and everything leading up to that like that i'm intending to do that's a win for me and at the end of the day if that outweighs what i'm not trying to do then it's a good day so if you have you read the book the compound effect cole no i have not we're gonna get you into that deal are you familiar with, if I were to offer you, let's say Chris Lavoie, because he's, he's at Tampa Prep, one of the top high schools in the country. If he were to say, hey, Cole, we're going to give you a penny every day that doubles for a month, or we're going to give you a check for $3 million. We're going to go into the go into the gate receipts from you know, a big Friday night football game in Florida. They don't have football, but if they yeah. did, they'd get a $3 million gate receipt because the people would be going to a Tampa Prep football game. <laughs> you know, And if that was the case, uh, would you take a check for $3 million or a penny that doubled every day for a month? Which one would you want? Penny that doubled every day for a month. Why? Because at the end of that, like, this is going to sound terrible, but a golf bet would be 10 cents a hole and double it every time. And you get to that 18th hole and it's $22,000. So if you do the same thing within. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Eric Gagne showed me that one. Beautiful. I yeah. Haven't, I've, yeah. See, I haven't so done if you, that if you okay. take the, those two pennies the next day, it's going to be four. Next day, it's going to be eight and it keeps yeah. going up. And yeah, yeah, yeah. at the end of the month, it, it's going to be. And at the end of the year, it's probably going to be more than that, that $3 million game receipt. You guys are playing with a different budget than I am, Cole, but I like where, I like where your head's at. <laughs> I don't at. make that bet. He makes that <laughs> I like where, you're, where your head's at. I can't at. play like that. But the compound effect is right here, right? Yeah. So it comes from a book by Darren Hardy. And ironically, I was at TCU uh, yesterday, and they, they brought in um, the program, which is a group of, of Marines that come in and do team building and leadership training with college athletic teams. And I thought they were fabulous. And the book that they were talking about at the end, their CEO, Eric Capitula, they talked about the book, The Compound Effect. And this is the, this is the backbone of the book, The Compound Effect. And Eric Gagne led you down the right direction. Yeah. Is that one penny, if the, the coaches can see this now, one penny on day one is $10 million at the end of a 31-day month. That's not bad at all. Not bad at all. So if you take the $3 million, right, if you take your signing bonus and you just and, – and you, you, Sit there and go, ah, oh, well, I was a first-round pick. I'll make it to the big leagues. I don't have to do anything, blah, 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 blah. 
you know, the guy who was drafted and has no option, if he's not playing Major League Baseball, he's going to go back to Latin America. He's going to work in sugarcane fields. That guy who has one penny signed for nothing but a plane ticket to come over here, if he keeps doing the work every day, that one penny turns into $10 million, right? Yeah. So you understand that small, smart decisions plus consistency in time equal a big difference. Yeah. So it's just about like, if you think about, you know, a, a simple concept of every decision that you're going to make, okay? Every decision that you make comes down to what's called uh, plus one, minus one, right? This is a Brian Johnson, which is a guy who I'll, I'll share some information with you on. But he basically says every decision you make is either plus one towards where you want to go or minus one away from where you want to go, right? Are you plus one where you want to go, minus one away from where you want to go? You're going to go put, you're going to, we're going to go to dinner tonight. What are you going to eat? Plus one or minus one? You're going to a football game on this weekend between Arizona State and uh, Stanford tomorrow night. Plus one, minus one. What you're going to do with that behavior? The people in your life, right? You could take everyone from your friends, girlfriends, family, teammates and say, when I'm around this person, do I get plus one better? Do I get minus one better? Right? And what you have to do is Kobe Bryant would say when you're in season, if you saw him speak to Alabama football in that training camp, they had preseason. He says, when you're in season, you have to take an audit of your life. And you have to understand who are the people I get around? What are the things that I do that either help me get where I want to go plus one or keep me from going where I want to go minus one, you know? And I think that's just such a great concept for a young professional athlete to understand, but also for, you know, college coaches and, and high school coaches and everyone on this call to understand you're either going plus one based off of your decisions or you're going minus one based off of the decisions that you make. So Cole, number one thing you took out of tonight, man, you didn't expect to be thrown into the fire here as you walk in the door at like five fifty five. I go throw a headset on. Let's get some. What do you got? I think just the main thing for me is just like how I, I became so involved with the mental stuff. And I just wanted to thank you for that. And oh, my pleasure, I want to thank you for having me on I want to thank all you guys for listening to this. I know this is my first time ever doing this. So I want to thank you guys for welcoming me and having me on. Well, get used to it, man. Get used to the headset and the microphone right here because it's probably going to be an everyday occurrence for you as you move forward, my friend. That's at least the plan that we got in place. Yeah, yes, sir. Excellent. Hey, thanks for checking out this podcast. This is Brian Kane, and I would love for you to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show. I'd also love to engage with you directly on social media. So please reach out on Instagram or Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. And then make sure you head over to BrianKane.com and check out some of our articles on our blog, some of our videos. And if you're a coach looking to master mental performance and up your game so you can help your clients get the results they've been looking for. Check out my Mental Performance Mastery Coaches Certification, where we teach you about the mindset, routines, and habits that your clients need to get the results they've been looking for. If you're an athlete or a performer listening to this podcast, head over to briancane.com and click on Athletes. Check out my 30 Days to Mental Performance Mastery for Athletes program, where I walk you through and coach you virtually to help you master the mental game and give yourself the best chance for success. Thanks for being with us here on the podcast. Let's dominate the day.